You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Form Now. I'm Tim Gray, President of the Augustine Institute, and joining me is Dr. Ben Akers, who's the Executive Director of Forms and one of our professors here at the Augustine Institute. And we're going to talk about, since today is August 11th, the Feast of St. Clair. And of course, St. Clair was inspired by St. Francis, and we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about St. Clair today, uh, and we have a beautiful icon that uh, Ben has of St. Clair, and of course, her sisters become known after she dies as the Poor Clare. She wouldn't let them name be named after herself during her lifetime. So they were the poor sisters of San Damiano because they were right. at the church of San Damiano, I believe. That's right. And, uh, and you can see their, the ancient convent they had that became attached and added on to the San Damiano church. And of course, the San Damiano church is important because that's where uh, the cross, will, our Lord will speak to St. Francis from that cross in San Damiano and say, Francis, go rebuild my church. And of course, the the St. Clair will start the women's side of the division of the Franciscans, which is really fascinating. I think it's beautiful that this is where he, they end up is at San Damiano, the church that he physically rebuilt. He thought that the Lord was speaking to him to physically rebuild the church. And then we know metaphorically and spiritually that to rebuild the church through renewal of calling the church back to poverty, chastity, and obedience. And that part of how he rebuilt the church was to inspire people to follow him, but also in the, the feminine branch with St. Clair to follow. Right, and she becomes you know, a key part of the renewal of mm -hmm. rebuilding the church. And of course, it's not just going to be the son down on a church. Francis was so humble when he hears that voice, he thinks, oh, God wants me to rebuild this church. And God was thinking, no, I want you to rebuild my entire church. And I love that story because it gives us hope whenever there's difficult times in the church and people think, well, the church is so uh, complacent or lukewarm or corrupt. How is it ever going to be renewed? And this has happened over and over again in church history. So if you know church history, it gives you a perspective that it doesn't matter how bad and corrupt the church gets, God will always breathe his spirit and his life into it. He will raise up the Francis and Clares who will renew the church. And that's what God did in the time of Francis and Claire, and God willing, that's what he'll do in our time, in our day. That's, that's the inspiration we should take away from that. No, it's a, it's a challenge to, to ask the Lord to say, what can I do? Do you want me to be part of this renewal? I want the church to be renewed. Have you invited me to be part of this renewal? And I remember being struck by a, a bishop in Virginia, and he would travel around, and he'd go to the different confirmation masses, the different school masses, and at the end of each of his homilies or at the end of the mass, he'd say, I want you to ask the Lord to the parents, to ask to have the Lord take one of your children to be a religious sister or a priest. Wow, that's a sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice, and it was hard. I know people objected to it because, like, it's okay if some other family gives a priest or a religious <laughs> right. or has a missionary son or daughter, but not my family. It's okay for somebody else. And so yeah. I, th I thought it was a wonderful challenge to you know, ask the Lord to, to, to have you be part of the solution. I, I felt that in a very small, 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 small way. We've had a, a couple of our students join uh, the Poor Clares. So we've had many go off to religious life, but in the last two years, uh, each of the last two years, we've had a, a student join the Poor Clare Sisters and, and the Poor Clares in Oswald. Oh, yeah, or, uh, New Roswell, New Roswell, Mexico. Yeah. Roswell, New Mexico. Um, and, you know, they're fantastic sisters. But uh, another one of our students 
joined another order and she was working for us and she was a great employee. And I was like, oh man, we're really going to lose her. And we keep losing all, all of our best sisters. And, and, and we had one of our great alumni a number of years ago who I thought was going to go on and get her doctorate. She was brilliant. And uh, I thought she would come back and teach. And she ended up joining the Dominican <laughs> Contemplative Order of Dominican Sisters. So uh, the Lord keeps stealing our graduates, who I keep thinking are going to go off and become professors for us eventually and get a doctorate. But he keeps taking them as his bride. So I can't, you can't argue with God. And they're serving great things. But I, I am inspired. Like what, what happened with St. Clair and St. Francis to renew the church, seeing our wonderful young graduates who are just beautiful, bright, full of energy, joining these religious orders, it gives me hope that there is a renewal that's beginning in the church today. I, I agree. And one of the, the, the conversion for St. Clair, she calls her conversion after having listened to St. Francis. But when you read her life, it seems that she came from a good and holy family, that her mother was a very devout Christian, uh, went on several pilgrimages to Rome, to Santiago de Compostela, to, to try to discern what the Lord wanted her to do with her life. And so I think that's one of the recipes for, you know, fast forward now to the day in which we live. What's part of the renewal? Families. Coming from good families. St. Teresa of Avila has a great opening line in her autobiography. And she's the great reformer of the Carmelites. And she said, I had great a great mother, a great father, I had a great family, and I was a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> so meaning like, but, you know. The, the, and even she, a terrible nun, she has to go through her, her second conversion after right. she's a nun for uh, over a decade. So she, it just shows that the conversion starts with ourselves. That, yeah. that, that first and foremost, we have to listen to the word of God. And that's to go back to how the renewal is going to happen in the church. Francis listened to the Lord. Claire listened to the Lord preach through the preaching of St. Francis. Francis. And, you know, even for great Catholic families like St. Claire has, uh, it's not, her conversion was not easy for her family, especially for her father, right? So her father hears about, you know, Claire joining up with Francis. And Francis is, he was, he's kind of shaken up Assisi, right? He was this crazy troubadour, wealthy kid, spoiled. And then he goes through this deep conversion, and then he gives up all of his wealth, his inheritance, in a dramatic way that the whole town of Assisi talked about and knew. And then he becomes a, he really lives poverty. I mean, radical poverty. And, you know, and now all of a sudden, all of these young boys and some of the best families uh, in, Fran in, in Assisi, some of their wealthy families, are seeing their young boys join Francis. Many are drawn to him. That's one thing that's happening. But all of a sudden, Clara creates a change, a, a new moment where she becomes the first young woman who wants to live a life of poverty and give up comfort. And when Claire tells Francis that she's interested in joining, and uh, and you know you know, and then of course Francis goes to the bishop because now this is going to get complicated. We're going to have a group of women who want to live a radical life of poverty. This is going to be, and he goes to Bishop Guido, and Bishop Guido. Uh, you know, says that he's going to reflect on this. He interviews Claire, and then he, the word is if she receives the palm at Palm Sunday uh, from the bishop, that's the sign that she is free to go and enter the order. And, that, and the bishop gives her that palm personally on Palm Sunday, and that's the signal because they don't want the families to know yet. Claire's family doesn't know because they're going to object to Claire entering. And so then Claire secretly enters uh, the Franciscans, right, follows Francis, 
and her father's not happy. And then let's talk about what happens next. Right. So the the image. He's I, a powerful man in Assisi. It, he was. He was even wealthier than Francis's father. So they were they were part of this you know patristic uh, patrician class of uh, of of wealth and ancient Roman family. And uh, what the father does is he he comes to bring her out of the of the convent, and uh, she has cut her hair, her long golden locks. And he gets frustrated with the realizing that she, you know she's lost. Yeah, because I sense. love that scene because he wants to drag her out of the church, and and at this point, Francis puts her with some Benedictines, I believe. That's right. Because you know he doesn't have a proper house yet, and uh, so he he puts Claire with the Benedictines, although she's going to live a different kind of rule, a, a much more austere rule of poverty. He goes bar- barging in there, and tries to drag his daughter out, and then she takes her veil off to show that she has. She has cut off all her hair. She has cut her hair short as part of her vow to be dedicated to Christ. Right. That was a signal that she wasn't interested in getting married except to Christ. Exactly. She's made this vow of virginity. Well, so Claire starts beginning to pray for her sister. And her sister, just two weeks later, decides to follow her sister into the convent. Didn't which, go well No, it well doesn't go well dad. either. No, uh, the family loses it. And so the family actually sends 12 men, 12 strong soldiers to come and to take Agnes away. And they go into the church and they're dragging her away. They're ripping her hair. They're <laughs> carrying her down the hill. And Claire drops to the knee, her knees and prays to the Lord to, to intercede, uh, to, to, to do something. And immediately Agnes becomes so heavy that these 12 men can't lift her. And then they call other men and they're trying to drag her and they can't drag her out. Does she have lead for breakfast? Like they start mocking this miracle. And her uncle is in such a rage, he raises his sword to strike her dead. Like, I'm not even gonna let you go to the Lord. Like you're just dead to the family. And he immediately becomes paralyzed in his arm and can't strike her. And that was a sign to the family, like, don't mess with this, that, that God's <laughs> hand is part of this story. I love that because, you know, even the best Catholic families, when they have their, their child who wants to go off and uh, to a convent or to the priesthood, it's a hard sacrifice. They're, they're like, oh, we love, you know, they'll pray for vocations, just not their, you know, out of their own family. And it is hard to have a child, uh, to have your child, go off to religious life. It's, it's, a, it's a real sacrifice. And I think that's even signaled by the Palm Sunday has a deeper meaning with re- receiving the palm from the bishop as the secret code because the palm is a sign of martyrdom. Mm. And even though Claire is not going to be martyred by shedding her blood, there's a white martyrdom of, yep. of giving up her life, giving up everything, everything she knew, her family, all the comforts of life to go and serve Christ. And so I think that that's not only hard for families to give, that's a certain martyrdom for the family, but also for the person that's going into religious life. Of course, there's joy at the, at the vocation and the following of Christ, but there's also hardship in the cross. There's no doubt. And I, that white martyrdom is, is for the parents as well as the child, I believe. Mm-hmm. There's a real loss uh, and a sacrifice especially for entering some of these religious orders like the poor Claire's where their access to go visit family and their communication with family is very, very limited. So it is a kind of dying. Do you have to die to your, your natural loves of your family and you have to put the love of Christ first? And that's very hard. And yeah, what's beautiful about uh, St. Claire's story is her mother comes around and her sister comes around, right? And her mother later on in life is going to be such a, uh, you know, so moved by what Claire has done and so supportive that she ends up joining. Right. 
that's the thing is that we can never guess how people are going to react. We can only we can only follow Christ and what He's asked us to do in our life, and the witness of our life will change other people's perspective on the world. And it, Agnes, her sister was moved by it. Her mother was moved by it. And they come and they follow her in this way of poverty. And I know that that has been true for several people I know who've entered priesthood or religious life where their families were really opposed, pushed back against it, but then over time accepted it. And they saw the witness of the joy. Uh, and that's what they looked for. You know, is, is my daughter, is my son happy or, or are they miserable? And to see the happiness and to see the joy year after year really then shows to the family that this was from God and God is taking care of, of my child and making them happy. And ultimately, that's what every parent wants is their children to be happy. And that's a mark of, exactly. And that's, that's a mark of, of, a true, of true vocation is, is a deep abiding peace. Mm. Of course, that we're going to have storms, right? The storms, think of the storms on the ocean on the top, right? But the deep water below is calm. Is there that deep abiding peace and then joy? And that's something that the Franciscans are known for, the male and the female branches of the Franciscans and the poor Clares. They're just known for their joy yeah. and their the radical poverty and their joy even from having nothing. Let's well, just, since, you know, St. Clair loved uh, Francis and his rule. And um, let's just talk about an, uh, the spirituality of poverty. Now, we have done an audio uh, that, that I should mention on the life of St. Francis, and Claire plays a large role in the last couple episodes. So at the end of the story, we have a, a couple different actors, one for the young Claire and one for the more mature Claire, um, who do a phenomenal job acting out the life of Claire uh, for Francis. And, and of course, when you get to Claire and, and Francis's, um, basically his, his illness in his last days, it's very, very moving. But you know you can get that in, in Brother Francis, the Barefoot Saint of Assisi, which is our audio drama. It's ten parts, and it's professional actors and actresses. The actress who played Claire did a phenomenal job, as well as the actor who played Francis. He won awards for his depiction of Francis, and it's unformed. So you just just uh, doing the search for Brother Francis, and you'll find it. Listen to that. Just go to the last episode. Go go to the final episode for the Feast of Claire. It'll inspire you and give you some great insights into Claire and her own suffering. But let's just go back to, to the Claire's devotion to poverty and how hard that would be for a young woman who grew up with in, in a very, very wealthy family. And poverty is difficult for anybody, right? And we might not be called the, the, to radical poverty that, that Claire and Francis lived. It was so opposed that even the followers of Claire, the followers of Francis said, it's too much for, it's too much for you. you you've, you've enjoyed too much of life so far to, to give this up. And the Pope actually intervened and tried to get her to make her rule maybe more look like a Benedictine rule. And she, she stuck to her guns. She said, yeah. no, I want to live the radical poverty that Francis lived. And, and in the end, she was vindicated and the Pope uh, approved her rule. So poverty is you know, a complete emptiness to, to, to be a beggar before the Lord, to realize that everything we have is a gift uh, from the Lord. So they actually still receive gifts. You can visit the poor Clares in Assisi if you've ever been. They're in the church where St. Clare is buried, and they just live on donations. Uh, and uh, even the poor Clares, if you look them up, uh, they look for donations. So uh, monetary donations, or you bring them eggs or bread or things that they need. Um, there's and, a great story of St. Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah, at Santa Chiara, the Church of yes. St. Clare in Assisi, and that's where Clare is buried, right. and uh, you can visit her body but, and, uh, and the relics there. But 
And there's a little museum too at the bottom that they have. There is. And they She's have Francis's, one of Francis's robes. You can see how patched up it is. It's really quite extraordinary. If you ever get a chance to make a pilgrimage, um, whenever I make a pilgrimage to Rome, I always try to go to Assisi. And I find Assisi the most edifying and encouraging part of my trips to, to Italy and to Rome. Uh, and people oftentimes short, you know, short th their trip in terms of Assisi. You know, they like, I'll make it a quick day in and out or maybe they do one night. But I always recommend doing at least, uh, now I always take groups, I always do at least two nights in Assisi and no one complains. They all think it's the greatest highlight of their pilgrimage. It's a beautiful setting in the Umbrian Valley. It's, it's on a hill in the Umbrian Valley and there's a mountain you can hike to of a hermitage that St. Francis would go and pray. And then the, the church of San Damiano that he built and then the Porziuncola, which is, is a little, it's a church inside of a church that he had built as well. Um, and then the Santa Chiara, where St. Clair is buried. And then just in the 19th century, she was buried into the, the base of the church because they used to steal relics. And that's another story for another day. But they uncovered it in the 19th century and they found her and she's still incorrupt. So there's a wax covering. So you can actually see what she looked like, uh, really young looking in her face. And it's really amazing. And, and just to give a, at some point, you've got to do a pilgrimage there because Ben was, uh, studied his doctorate in Rome. So he did his doctorate at the Angelicum. And he would lead pilgrimages to, uh, to all these places in Italy. And you're really a phenomenal pilgrim guide there. I've been with you on, on uh, some trips. And so you, you need to lead a form trip. I'm just going to make that suggestion Great, right you. now. Yeah. You need to lead a form <laughs> trip to Rome and Assisi. And, uh, and that, would, that would be fantastic. I, I'm sure people would love it once we get past COVID. So next... Right. In, in 2021, maybe in the fall, we'll get you to do a, a pilgrimage. That's great. Uh, Sign me up. Yeah. No, it'd be so. great. You, you, you do fantastic trips. The sisters there, just another word about, they have sing beautifully. So if you ever do mm. get to go to SCC or to a Porca convent, they sing wonderfully. They sing all the different hours of the day. And they can. you won't be able to see them because they're behind a grill because they've separated themselves from the world. But you can hear their voices. And we, I took, used to work with college students over in, in Rome and Assisi. And the college girls love to bring the cookie. They would bring cookies to the girls. And they would, you could just hear the nuns giggling on the other side and the, uh. and the young American students you know, talking to these women. I just thought what a beautiful exchange uh, between these two. And one of the uh, example from Claire's life of radical poverty is they had received, her convent had received one loaf of bread. And Claire told the sister who was in charge of the refectory, the food, she said, cut the loaf in half. Give half the loaf to the Franciscans down the road. Wow. And cut, the, right? So even what we have, we share. Cut that, then the, the other half of the loaf, cut into 50 pieces because there were 50 sisters living in this convent. Oh my goodness. And the sister said, Mother Claire, this would be a miracle. This would require a miracle of biblical proportions for this bread to multiply. And Mother Claire said, trust me, do as I said. And so the sister starts breaking and, and cutting the loaves and the miracle of loaves happens again at her hands. There's enough bread for all 50 sisters wow. because of her radical trust yeah. in mother's word and mother's radical trust in the Lord. You know, I think that's one of the fruits of poverty is that by embracing poverty and depending on God to take care of it. And I know, you know, Mother Teresa of Calcutta does this and the Missionaries of Charity Sisters do this. And they just have this radical dependence on God, that God's going to take care of what they need. And then God does, and he does, does again, and their faith just grows exponentially. And, you know, I think in, in the West, and we're so affluent, we, we store up and we already think about, well, how I, I got to store up everything in abundance for my retirement. We store up and store up. And that's not... 
that's not bad, that's wise, it's prudent, but the idea of poverty really uh, builds trust in God. I think the second thing that poverty does is poverty shows us that where our heart is. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, in Matthew chapter 6. And if we store up earthly treasures, we have really, really nice cars, we have really, really nice clothes, we have really nice everything, that's where our heart becomes. We, are, we treasure these things. And by poverty, by giving to the poor, we're saying that I treasure God. I treasure his word. I treasure his children. And that is really important to grow spiritually. And so Francis and Claire are reminders for us. We're not all called to live the poverty that Francis and Claire did, but we are supposed to have the poverty of detachment from material goods. That whatever goods we have, we are to be impoverished. And I always love the idea that and, you know, if we can afford this level house or this level of car, we take a notch down or two to have that sense of poverty, to take a little bit less in that spirit of poverty that we're all called to. It's always a challenge to think of the things that we own in our life and we realize, do I own them yeah. or do they own me? Mm-hmm. Do I really care if my phone, you know, do I, where's my phone? I, I lost my phone or whatever we're most, tre- yeah. you know, the things that we are expensive and that we treasure. And poverty is a wonderful challenge to that. There's a, there's a, a book by Father Thomas Dubay who has since passed on to his reward, but Happy Are You Poor? And I remember mm-hmm. reading that book and, he, and it's, a, it's for everybody, that the, the mm-hmm. evangelical call of poverty. I didn't know he wrote is, that book, Happy Are the Poor? Happy Are the Poor, yeah. Oh, I have, I've read his other books and I love them. I have not read that oh, one. Oh, no, it's a challenging book because in the end of it, he says poverty is for everybody and he has examination at oh. the end. He says, if you're a priest, this is what poverty might look like for you. If you're a religious sister, and you think, well, they gave up everything. And he just, he's just drilling down on things. And then for married couples. And that's where my wife and I read it one Lent. And it was just such a, a shake for us that, this, the, the, that as married couples, we're also called to live poverty. And poverty, poverty is something that exists. It doesn't mean it's a virtue, but poverty is also a virtue. So we're talking so about poverty as a virtue. Did your wife decide she wanted to give you up? Yes, that's right. She gave me up for, <laughs> for Lent. Right. <laughs> well, so. you know the three rings of marriage, right? The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. <laughs> <laughs> suffering. Yes, indeed. The, the, you know, I think that um, this call to poverty, though, is, it, it, it's something that we, we all can embrace to a, to a greater or lesser degree. And I think as we become more attached to Christ, we feel the freedom to be detached from material goods more and more. And I just think of a couple of friends I know in my life. I know one guy who loved watches. And, I, and he, he loves watches and he takes great pride in watches. And so he doesn't wear a watch to give that up. You know, he'll wear other nice clothes, but he gives up the watch as a sacrifice, right? And then I, I knew somebody who was an investment banker and he had an extraordinarily nice car. And it was important for him to have, you know, custom-made suits, a very nice car, because if he drove up in a Beater or in a Toyota, you know, people will be like, I'm not going to invest with you. You're not a very good investor. You're, you're, you're not, you're broke. You're not making much money. So he had to do that. But what he would give, give up is he lived to poverty in other ways that were hidden ways. So he gave a, a poverty of hot showers. He would not have hot water for his showers. That was part of the poverty he embraced and other little things that people wouldn't notice. And you would think, oh, this guy's living the high life. And yes, he had an extraordinarily nice car, extraordinarily nice suits, but he also made other sacrifices. And that's the point. We don't have to, if we're called to be in the world, you know, some of us are called, we have to dress a certain way. And and St. Thomas More is a good example of that. He had to wear, as the chancellor of of England, he had the most important position after the king. He had to wear very nice robes and clothing. That was important for his office. And yet he wore a hair shirt underneath, 
right? And he did other things. And so he lived that spirit of poverty that made him detached so that when he had to give up to be obedient to God, he had to give up his mansion and, and estate. He was willing to do that. It wasn't hard. And he gave up his head. <laughs> Eventually, he had to give <laughs> up his martyrdom. head. That was the last thing to be detached that he was detached from. <laughs> well, and I'd say that, that, he's, that you're right, Tim, that this, the, the spiritual masters tell us that to give up little things, to make every sacri- little sacrifices that people don't ever see. That's you know, not putting salt on the food. Mm-hmm. At a meal that you like, just want to add that another salt, yeah. or giving up something, you know, ordering your second favorite thing at the restaurant. Yeah. That these are little things that we can do to make sacrifices to express poverty. Say, I'm not attached to these things. Mm-hmm. I rely on you, Lord, for what you want to give me. And then the the other thing that I think that Claire can teach us with regards to renewal in the church and renewal in our lives is her devotion to the Eucharist. There's a famous scene. You often see Claire holding a monstrance, holding one of those the the this this image of how it holds the host inside of it. it means to show the host if I see one at your church we show that in I think episode one of presence she's we show several saints and we show Claire, a young Claire yeah. holding up the monstrance when the CC was being sacked and when the convent was in danger to be sacked and pillaged she holds up the blessed sacrament and the people disband the army just can't face it. That's right. The Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II, his Saracen army, is attacking Assisi, and she is sick, and she's bedridden, and she has the Blessed Sacrament brought to the doors of the convent, and she prostrates herself in front of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, says, Lord, save, save your daughters, save your, your children, and she hears a voice say, you will not be harmed. And oftentimes you'll see it as light, that the army turns away and Assisi and the convent are spared because of her devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. Her devotion to the Blessed Sacrament was also shown by when she was bedridden. She was bedridden with an illness for 27 years. And so she would make corporals, the little square cloth that you would have for mass. And she sent those to all the parishes that were surrounding, in Assisi and surrounding area, her devotion to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Her devotion to the Blessed Sacrament is also seen in she couldn't attend Mass. Mm. So she was stuck in her bed and the, she wasn't able to make it down to the chapel on a regular basis. And so this was such a loss to her, a poverty in, in a lot of ways to her, this, that this was taken away from her. That she heard Mass and even some say saw it projected on the wall. So this is why uh, Pope Pius XII made her the patron saint of television. <laughs> because she saw the Mass projected on the wall. Which is amazing, and I think of, um, you know, I, I think of uh, Mother Angelica, you know, who is a poor Claire who starts a, a TV station and a radio network, right? right. And so yeah. it's part of the miracle, I think, of, of Mother Angelica. And, uh, and I remember this, one of the stories of Mother Angelica, she was in a helicopter looking for a, a place to put a, a satellite dish for their shortwave radio. And they were going over these hills, and she, she, she pointed the helicopter guy, and she said, let's go down there to the, that hills. And she saw the hills, and she saw these large hills, and she said, uh, what's, what county is that in? And they said, Clare County. She goes, that's where we're going to put it. And there was an expert that she had brought to consult, and he said, oh, mother, that would be the worst place to set up a shortwave radio dish. It will not go beyond those hills. It, it, it will have a terrible signal. And it won't go very far. And she said, nope, that's where we're going to put it. And they put it there, and the signal was so strong, it was blowing out shortwave radios in Africa. 
Like they, they, she was asked to turn down the signal because it was so powerful from what happened right there. A- amazing. That's St. Clair. No, this, you hear these stories of saintly people like Mother Angelica and saints like St. Clair. And you can't help but, but you be edified and, and, or dumbfounded and your jaw drops. And, and they say, well, that's for them. But the Lord has these things in mind for us. The Lord mm-hmm. wants to do great things with us. It's just we hold on to ourselves. You know, why don't we experience these great miracles that St. Clair, the Mother Angelica, these kinds of stories? It, Teresa of Avila gives us an insight into it. She says, because we hold on to ourselves. This is why we're made holy in degrees is because we only give ourselves in degrees to our Lord. And St. Clair, St. Francis, these wonderful saints are, are encouragements and exhortations to us to, to give it all to the Lord. And, and he will never be outdone in generosity. That's so inspiring. I, ben, you know, this idea that we, we can't hold back, we can't give parts, we have to give the, our whole heart. And that's really the witness of St. Francis of Assisi. And that's really the witness of St. Clair. Uh, here's this young teenage girl who has incredible wealth. She could choose who, her suitor. Anybody, any young boy in Assisi wants to marry into that wealth. And she was an attractive young woman. And she gives it all to Christ. Doesn't give 50%, doesn't give 10%. She gives 100%. And I think that's exactly the inspiration we need. And, uh, and you're right. You know, God's hand is not shortened. His grace is, is just as available now as ever. And we see that. You know, the miracles that happen with St. Clair with the Blessed Sacrament and the miracles that happen with Mother Angelica these miracles are available if we but call upon the name of God with great trust and love and devotion. And I think the other lesson I take away from Clara today is poverty. It's not that possessions are bad. It's that trust in God is beautiful. And it's that our treasure in heaven is, is better than all the treasures that we'll, we give up here. Whatever we give up here, we'll receive a hundredfold in heaven for all eternity with Christ. And, you know, I think to give up possessions here is a great act of faith. Uh, It's really trusting in our Father, uh, His providential care for us, His love for us, and it's a great exercise. And so on this Feast of St. Clair, think about what, how can you become more detached? What can you give up? Uh, How can you have that spirit of detachment? Little sacrifices, like Ben mentioned, of maybe giving up salt, maybe giving up, you know, having, choosing a second thing, uh, you know, in terms of food choices. Whatever that is, make little sacrifices. This is part of the Christian discipleship because basically our, our home is in heaven and our hearts need to be there more and more. I hope this has been edifying for you and inspiring. I hope you can pray to St. Clair today that you may be more detached. May the Lord bless and keep you. God bless. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.